I can't be the only one who occasionally struggles to stay focused. And by occasionally, I mean often. There are so many things to keep track of. Family, work, health, spiritual growth, hobbies, and, of course, that pesky matter of an ongoing pandemic. My thoughts can be pulled in so many different directions, and any one thing that I attempt to focus on may not get my best effort, and the results may reflect that as well. Once again, I hardly doubt that I'm the only one who deals with this. Most, if not all, of those listening have known this feeling at one point or another. Maybe it's more of an ongoing thing. Maybe as you are listening, you know this feeling. You're experiencing it currently. You may know both its effects on the process of pursuing the goals of a task, as well as the less-than-ideal outcome. Now, I could spend this entire episode sharing best tips and tricks for how to deal with that. Tips such as making lists, keeping a schedule, having others check in on us, and no doubt, at least some, would find that helpful. But I'd rather delve into the core issues underneath. I'd rather spend time talking about the deeper principles that we're striving for when we seek such focus. And all the other stuff, all the lists and such, will flow out of that. Welcome to the Coffeehouse Contemplative Podcast. I've recently taken an interest in the writings and the teachings of Bruce Lee, that renowned martial artist and movie star. And so recently I've been reading several books to that effect. First off, Be Water, My Friend, by his daughter Shannon, and Zen in the Martial Arts, which incorporates various things that Bruce taught to a particular student. Now, even if you're not into martial arts at all, there are, I find, plenty in these books to apply to life in general, and part of the goal, at least, of Be Water, My Friend, is to highlight those. Principles like persistence, and endurance, and discipline, and practice, and self-confidence. These, among others, are the larger, the deeper issues that are explored 
in these texts. Now, there are two Japanese terms that repeatedly come up in these works. And before I delve into them, I definitely want to offer the disclaimer that I am not a Japanese speaker. And so those listening may not find my pronunciation up to snuff, and I am just going to acknowledge that before I begin. So, with that being said, the first term that I want to share with you is a term known as kime. Kime, which means a tightened mind. Obviously, this means the opposite of a scattered mind, the type of mind that I brought up in the introduction to this episode, a mind scattered by all kinds of tasks and worries and so on. A tightened mind, to have a tightened mind, to experience true kime, is to focus, truly focus, on one goal or one target at a time. And not only that, but to finish it before starting a new one. Bruce Lee observed that a loose mind wastes energy, a scattered mind, a non-tightened mind. Have you ever noticed how tired you get when your thoughts are scattered, when you don't have much focus, when you're trying to run around and do a little bit of this over here and a little bit of that over here, do you notice the fatigue that that causes in your body? The One of the principles of kime, a tightened mind, is that with focus comes focused physical and mental energy. Now the second Japanese word that I want to share with you is a principle known as mushan. Mushan. Again, apologies for the pronunciation. Mushan is a term that means no mind. This was a particular favorite of Bruce Lee. It's, it's one that comes up repeatedly in his writings and teachings. To have no mind is to act without thinking. To act unconsciously. To be free and uninhibited by your thoughts. This is the kind of thing that comes with more practice. The more you practice, the more an act becomes more automatic. We sometimes call this muscle memory. And to have no mind is to not let our thoughts derail us. Thinking interrupts our flow. It interrupts the execution. To dwell on how to do it will not let the act itself be as smooth as it could be. To have no mind is to do without thinking. 
the act is immediate and decisive and instinctive. Now, these two concepts, a tightened mind and no mind, they seem like they might be opposite, or at least somehow opposed to one another. And yet I think, I believe, that they do have a relationship. A tightened mind versus no mind. Both of these apply to focusing the mind and body. Both of them apply to blocking out damaging and self-sabotaging thoughts that may get in our way, that may keep us from doing what we wish to do. But there's another trait that these two have in common, and that is the removal of self-consciousness. We could define self-consciousness in a variety of ways. It, it manifests itself in our lives in a whole lot of different forms. First, we may be self-conscious by dwelling on how we look, on our mere appearance, our, our physical appearance, how we present ourselves to others. And in a larger sense, self-consciousness applies to the impression that we give to others. And this is not just appearance, it's how we act, how we speak, the beliefs that we are willing to share. And there is also, as a part of self-consciousness, the impression that we want to give ourselves. We may have a certain self-image, and part of what we do may involve an investment in maintaining that self-image for ourselves. So we may approach a particular task in our lives thinking, well, I have to do this a certain way and with a certain quality so that I can still believe myself to be proficient at this thing. Now, self-consciousness, if we're constantly thinking about these impressions that we want to give others or ourselves, it can scatter our thoughts. It can distract us. It can throw us off. We have a certain amount of energy invested in proving to others or ourselves a particular image. Self-consciousness can affect us when we're new to something, when we're still learning, when we're still getting comfortable. We may say to ourselves, well, I need to get better at this faster. Or if I'm not good at this immediately, that means I'll never be good at this. And we don't want to look foolish as we're still learning and still practicing and getting through that early awkward phase of figuring it out. Self-consciousness can also affect us when we are sure of something. 
when we are considered some kind of an expert in our field, we've done the work, we've done the practice, we've done the studying, and so we head into a situation wanting to keep that up, wanting to continually prove, yes, we are the ones who can be relied on for this particular area. We want to look good for others. We want to prove ourselves. We want to show, yes, we are still that person. And so we may come up, come into a situation unfocused in that way because, again, a certain amount of energy is in keeping up the facade, keeping up our reputation. Now, there are many causes of self-consciousness. There may include, among these causes for each of us, what I'll call toxic voices either from our past, some person that we grew up with, or some, some former mentor or leader or teacher or somebody who always expressed doubt in who we were. And we ended up internalizing that doubt. It may be some voice from the present, some current voice who is doubting us, and we're always in danger of having to internalize that current voice. And this may include our own voice, among others. And we may also have a toxic voice from the future. What will people think of us down the road? What if we don't perfectly land some task that we're currently working on? What will people who hear of this later think of us? The causes of self-consciousness may include the expectations of our environment. We may feel enclosed by deadlines or by people looking over our shoulder. We're constantly distracted we may feel limits to our freedom or our creativity. We may feel a need to impress. And we are, again, distracted by a certain amount of energy invested in these sorts of thoughts. This awareness. It's always going on in the background. These causes of self-consciousness may include community judgment. Whatever, whatever group that we consider ourselves a part of, whatever larger network or community that we believe ourselves to be a member of. There are spoken and unspoken expectations in each of these communities. And certain behavior either gets us more inclusion, more praise, may even shuffle us up the ladder of the social network, or it may get us pushed out or pushed down that same ladder. And so we're always wondering, what is allowed? What 
will give me greater social capital here? Or what will cost me social capital? There's the pressure that we put on ourselves. Again, we need to prove something to ourselves. Or we may be overconfident and we might not come in with the level head that we need to get the job done. Regardless of the particular causes that we are facing, we can't do what we can really do when we constantly have these thoughts playing on the margins. They block our actions. They block our identity. Self-consciousness ends up blocking who and what our self is meant to become. The spiritual writer Ignatius of Loyola, in his spiritual exercises early on, he shares what he calls the first principle and foundation. This is one of the core tenets of everything else that he shares in these exercises. And there are several things that this first principle and foundation states that I, in particular, want to highlight for the purposes of this discussion. The first thing that Ignatius says is that humanity is created to praise, reverence, and serve God. That is our primary purpose. That is the core of what we were created to do. It is the core purpose of what cre God created us to do and who God created us to be. At our core, we are ones who praise, reverence, and serve the one who created us. The second thing I want to highlight in this first principle and foundation is that everything around us, everything in creation, is meant to be used to that end, that end of praising, reverencing, and serving God. All things can be used for this purpose and is meant to be used for that purpose. And the third thing that I want to highlight is that Ignatius says that we otherwise are meant to become indifferent to all other things, indifferent to all other purposes, indifferent to all other goals. Praising, reverencing, and serving God is paramount to who we are. Now, I don't know about you, but... I am getting some strong kime 
and Mucian vibes here. First, there is that concept of having tunnel vision when it comes to praise, reverencing, and serving God. There is that focus on one goal at the expense of everything else, what he calls indifference to all other things. A big part of Ignatius's spiritual exercises is cultivating a mindset where everything we do reaches a point where it is done automatically, where everything becomes instinctual and habitual. In other words, the concept of no mind. Now, this is a good foundational statement, at least in my opinion. But we may naturally wonder what this looks like in practice. I mean, praising, reverencing, and serving God sounds nice in theory. But what about practically? What does that look like in our day-to-day lives? For Ignatius, as again reflected in the rest of his exercises, that meant discipleship. It meant reflecting on the life teachings of Jesus, and not only reflecting on them, but following them. To love others, to seek justice and peace as we are inspired by who Jesus was, and what he did, and what he continues to do. To remain focused on that goal and to be indifferent to things that would have us do otherwise. Now, I don't necessarily assume that all my listeners are Christians, identify as Christians. But for those who are, being who God created us to be involves this discipleship, and all that it entails. Love, peace, justice, forgiveness, healing, and so on. Following Jesus' teachings and reading Jesus' life and teachings is a big part of that. And, I must say, paying attention to Jesus' life and teachings, and not just Paul's interpretation or spin, as some Christian circles would prefer. And from there, remaining focused on that and becoming indifferent to those things that do not do that. Now, if I can zoom out a bit, both for my non-Christian listeners as well as for my Christian listeners, I'll say this. There are many ways to be who God created us to be. There are many different ways to do this, according to our own gifts, our own talents, our own passions, our own particular network of relationships, and our own context. All of these things vary from person to person. But the very first thing is that we focus on who God created us 
to be, not just what God wishes for us to do. I want to resist making this all about what we do for a living. There are some who would characterize God's call to us solely in terms of how we earn money, how we make our way in the world. But this, this is bigger than that. This is meant to encompass our entire selves, our entire sense of being in the world, our entire sense of existence. And so we take stock of what moves us, what drives us, what we're gifted to do, what we want to be better gifted to do, even if we look foolish in those early stages. And from here we ask what we need to practice every day to become more instinctive, to become more habitual, to better achieve a state of no mind. There are many ways to praise, reverence, and serve God. This may, from one person to another, include service to others. It may include bringing joy or awareness through art. It may include using our voice, our clout, our privilege to advocate on behalf of others. It may include nurturing relationships with loved ones, paying attention to those closest to us and their needs, and building one another up. Now, some of this already comes naturally to us. At least in some sense, we've already achieved no mind for at least a couple of these things. But others, other things that I've listed and other things you yourself can come up with, we're still very self-conscious about. There are things we feel awkward or out of our comfort zone about, or we worry about others' opinions. We worry about our own opinions, our own self-image. In these different ways, our identity still has a block. And so we need more practice and more confidence. And in that sense, we need to be about the work of befriending ourselves, of trusting ourselves more to become less self-conscious by becoming more self-embracing. Now, practice is a big part of this. The more we tighten our minds, the more indifferent we become to what blocks our identity. And the more we pursue that identity through practice every day, the more we achieve no mind. The more we embrace our own identity, the more self-awareness passes away, and the more capable of kime and mushin we can become.
Thank you for listening to the Coffeehouse Contemplative Podcast. I'm Jeff Nelson. You can find more about my writing, including my four books, at jeffreyanelson.com. You can also find me on social media, facebook.com slash revjeffnelson. And I'm at boldroastrev on both Twitter and Instagram. Have a great week. Thank you.